God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Day zero is a date that really stuck out to a, a town called Cape, Cape Town, Africa, because day zero was the day that they would run out of water as a city. All the studies, all, all the, the governmental entities went to the, the, the city and said, if we don't change the things that we're doing, there's going to be this day zero that comes along where the very essential thing of water that we all need for life is going to be gone. And they put a date on it. Because they saw the amount of water be consumed by the, the, the city, the people, was not being sustained by the rain and the aquifer, and any sort of water resource they had. Mexico City was founded on a lake. Most of that lake's gone. And the government there is actually looking at it too. The amount of water that the city is consuming and taking in is more than the the amount of water that's being replenished to the aquifers after rains and snow that comes down from rivers. And so maybe at some point Mexico City will have a day zero. The Colorado River. It starts in Colorado and it's supposed to flow all the way down through Mexico into the Pacific, I believe. And it did at one point, but today it doesn't. It actually stops because there isn't enough water. Or we're using too much water to the point where when, by the time the Colorado River gets to its end, the water has all been used up. And it brings us to this one question that we would hate to ask if we didn't have water who gets it first? If there wasn't enough water, who is it that's going to get it first? And you begin to see how dangerous that is, and you begin to see why governments say water is a human right, it's for everyone, because at that point, does water become a commodity? Something that you trade for goods or for money, and if you do that, certainly there's going to be some human right issues. Water is a human right. We need it for life. And so when you have questions like this, if it comes, becomes a commodity, you, you can't get to that point because it must, it's needed by every single person, even though it seems as if it's rare, going away. It's an interesting thing, when things get rare, when things become more valuable, someone's going to find a way to make money off of it. They're going to find a way to benefit themselves. Unfortunately, even though the very basics of life, they're going to do it, and likely they'll get rich doing it. But that's kind of ingrained in our souls, in our life. If something becomes valuable, we kind of make it commodity. We use it for our own benefit. We use it for our own well-being. And I don't think that Joshua today in our lesson in Nehemiah was thinking that way, but he certainly showed it. See, in Numbers, we hear of Moses standing before his people, specifically 70 elders. He got to that point because he was having a really tough time leading the people of about 2 million people. In everything that they did, he was their leader, the one leader for two million people. And so when the people were hungry, they would come to Moses and say, I'm hungry, give us food. When they were thirsty, they'd come and say, I'm thirsty, give us water. And they finally got to a point 
where they are frustrated with the food that they have, that they are bored with it, where they said to Moses, we need meat. We finally need food. If we stay back in Egypt, we have had food over the fire like we did every night, and yet here we are in the desert. And Moses was frustrated. You hear it a few verses before our, our section where he says, Where can I get meat, meat for these people? They keep wailing to me, Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. And if I found favor in your eyes, and now do not let my face, do not let my face, let me face my own ruin. Moses, he's done. He couldn't handle it by himself, and so he went to God saying, I can't handle this, and this is what God did. He said, you know what, I'm going to give you 70 people who can help you. 70 people who will be leaders just like you are leaders to deal with the the issues, the struggles, the, the wailing of these people. And so there they were standing before the tent, the tabernacle. And God, in a miraculous way, proved that these men would be their leaders. It says, Moses went out and told the people that the Lord had said what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. This was good. This was fantastic for the Lord, for Moses, for the people. They would finally get the support and the leadership they need, and the Holy Spirit was ready to equip these men to do that. From the temple, they took up the spirit that was on Moses and put it on these 70 elders, and they were ready to prophesy and speak, because that's essentially what happens when the spirit comes on people. They're ready to speak God's word, to share it. It was all good, Until a young boy came running to Moses and said, there's two men in the camp who are prophesying. Eldad and Medad. And at that moment, you see a young leader, Joshua, who saw everything that happened at the the tabernacle there, who perhaps was one of the 70 who had the spirit come on him and prophesy. You see Joshua's jealousy. As Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' age since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Do you see jealousy there? It's maybe not so evident when you read that, but the next sentence is very evident. As Moses, the, the author, writes, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit on them. We might have looked at Joshua and said, maybe he's he's saying they shouldn't be prophesying for one reason or another, but Moses made it extremely clear that his motives, Joshua's motives, were out of jealousy for Moses. Something that Shakespeare calls the green-eyed monster in Othello. Remember reading that? Uh, 
emotion that's, that's really so self-absorbed. It actually looks around at other people and takes the blessings and the, the, the good things in other people's lives and it says about those things they're bad because I don't have them. It's almost as if we, we look at people and they become a commodity for us that we trade and we, 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 we balance our lives and saying, if this person has beauty, intelligence, and wisdom, that's what I need for my life. To feel some sort of self-value, to see, feel some sort of self-worth, we're looking at other people and comparing ourselves and seeing what we don't have. And we have this, some sort of standard. Some sort of number that we have that we feel we have to reach before we feel valuable. And so we come to despise people for it. It's the same emotion as when people say, I I saw my ex with someone else and I just felt jealous. It's the same emotion as when you see someone who gets a really nice present and you didn't get a, as nice of a present. It's that feeling. It's, it's that thought that goes through your mind when you're with your family and you look at your siblings and you think, why did they get all the good traits and I got all the bad traits? And it's an emotion that's not just a single time emotion. This thing carries on for, for can be all your life where you wonder, why me and why them? Why do they have the good things and why do I not have them? Shouldn't I be entitled to all of this too as well? But if you really look at it, here's a simple way of understanding jealousy. It's our insecurities. Isn't it? If you're jealous of someone because they're beautiful, you probably think about yourself, I'm not so beautiful. If you're jealous because your sibling is intelligent, maybe it's because you're not getting good grades in school and so you're wondering, why did they get those genes? If you see that some of your friends are having fun without you, you start to to wonder, am I just not likable? Jealousy, it turns everything into a commodity, essentially. It does the very thing to, to us and to other people that that we don't want done to us. It looks and it rates every single thing on a scale, whether beauty, if you like beauty, that's a higher rating, whether you like intelligence, whether you like faithfulness, all these things are rated, and we try to get them all for ourselves because we're trying to do one thing. Cover our insecurities, trying to develop our own self-worth so we feel good about ourselves. And the result is never good. Just look at Joshua. Well, he mentioned it it was almost an offhand comment, but Moses stands up to Joshua and and he replies to him, because Joshua was jealous, he was insecure about this thing. And here's the evidence. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up. Joshua was with Moses through most, most of Moses' leadership. He saw how hard it was for Moses. He saw the struggles of the people and how weighing it was on Moses. He saw the good times of Moses too, but he stood there and something changed that Joshua was not comfortable with. 
He saw the spirit of Moses taken and put on 70 men. And he was okay with that. Moses was there. He was confirming that. The the Lord came down in a cloud and, and he did that. They were all there at that rite, that ceremony, but those two men weren't. Eldad and Medad. And when Joshua heard that they were out prophesying in the camp, it showed his insecurity. Moses is the leader. He saw Moses' leadership slipping through his fingers. How are these people prophesying? That's Moses' work and his job. And they weren't even here when the Holy Spirit came and, and the Spirit was taken from Moses and put on these people. They weren't here. How can they go out and prophesy and preach? Moses, stop them. He was insecure about Moses. Afraid that Moses was losing it. Someone who had worked so hard and struggled so much, and all of a sudden these men, in a blink of an eye, can do this very same thing that Moses are doing. This is not fair. It's not the way it should be. But you see the horrible thing that Joshua was doing. You see the horrible thing that his jealousy resulted in. Saying, stop. Are you a jealous person? And maybe taking a, a quick survey of our lives, we, we maybe say, no, we're not so jealous. We're, we're not going out there and spying on people. I, I hope not. Making sure they're doing the things that we want. We're, we're pretty trustworthy when, when it comes to people. We're, we don't get too angry when someone doesn't do something or we think someone does something um, and, and so we respond in an irrational way. We maybe aren't so jealous in that sense. But when you really dig deep into our lives and our decisions and our interactions, we've got to ask, are we jealous? Because I, I looked at myself and I, I did see that jealousy in a sense. You see, I, I really like to help people who have problems. I like to fix things. I like to solve things. And that in itself is not bad. But when you think of the motivation behind it, every time I help someone, every time I, I, I give someone what, something they need, I feel better about myself. I feel more fulfilled about myself. And I thought, if I didn't have that opportunity to help and fix and repair, what would I feel like? I would feel worthless. I would have no self-worth at all. Same goes for me in my life. When I have problems, when I have issues, I I don't go look to other people to come and help me. I want to solve it myself because that's what I love. My commodity, my value is to be self-fulfilling, to be a repairman, to fix it. Sometimes to the point where I end up trading God's word in place of it. Sometimes to the point when every single person I talk to needs to hear about what Christ has done for them, I'm willing to put myself in that place. To trade Christ and his work aside as a commodity and put myself there to please 
me. And you begin to see maybe the jealousy in our hearts. In every one of our interactions. Is the work of the Spirit simply something we trade and barter for? Do we use it like Joshua did? And honestly, the disciples too, as you look at in our, our gospel lesson, they used it to, to barter their way into leadership, making sure no one else had it, to make sure they had the authority. And so it became a commodity, something they, they, they used to purchase something that would be good for them. And something that they could easily push aside when they didn't need it. So when it comes to things in our lives that we feel are fulfilling, like beauty and intelligence, we're so much more willing to be jealous of someone else rather than hearing God's word and the fulfillment of God's word. Rather than finding self-value in the things that are around us, the things that we can't change, the things that we look at ourselves and say, I, I, I wish I could give up my, my, my intellect for beauty. We, we, we ask all those things, but there Christ's word is sitting off to the side and we consider it not so valuable at all when it comes to looking at ourselves and seeing who we are. Like Joshua, we're willing to say to the Spirit, hush. When we have issues in our lives, in our families, we like for us to fix it. When God's word says, I give you the fix. When we see other people having struggles, we like to step up and say, I, I have your solution We want to give you the answer. When when Christ says, I I have the solution, speak my word to them. This is how I empower people to, to preach and prophesy. My spirit comes on them through my word. And we barter with God's word. And we silence it many times. Moses responds, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put the Spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Moses turned around Joshua's thinking. Rather than a commodity, rather than something that can be used to barter and and earn your way to a higher level, maybe to, to, to steer the, the helm when it comes to the church and its work, Moses sees this as something that is essential. The very necessity of life, of spiritual life. It wasn't as if at that, that temple, God was saying, you are greater than everyone else because now you, you speak with the Spirit and you can prophesy. He was essentially saying, this is what every single person needs. And it, it was... The Holy Spirit wanted that so much, it went even into the camp to Eldad and Medad that they prophesied to the people. This was the foundation of what they needed. Not a bartering tool. Not just an element. 
And so the Spirit comes to us in that very same way. It's the foundation of everything we do. It's not as if we, we simply just trade out strategies when we talk to people to fix their problems. All of our strategies are founded on God's word and his spirit. The spirit that came and confessed to us, revealed to us, that on the cross there was someone who was there that brought you value already. See, your value isn't gained by what you can receive and the amount of value you find here or the amount of beauty you can grasp here or the amount of intellect that you get here. Your value is determined by what happened on the cross. And the Spirit comes to us constantly through his word and he tells us that your value is that of Christ who willingly died on the cross for you in your place who has given you the very essential of what you need, forgiveness from our ugliness of sin, righteousness in the face of our own unrighteousness, eternal value in his kingdom. And as we see that, we take something that is and has been used as a commodity in our lives. And here it tell us that we are not one. I wonder if we're jealous because it's just a practice round for us. Uh, because we know that we're going to have to stand before a judge one day whether intellectually we know that or not, there's kind of that underlying thing in every, every single person. So we want to be judged the best. We want to be seen as beautiful and holy and righteous and all this. I wonder if it's because we know we have to stand before Almighty God. Who doesn't say, I, I want you to be beautiful or witty or smart or brilliant who says, I, I want you to have a holy and righteous heart. A heart that's pure, sinless. I wonder if that's why we're jealous, because we're trying to fill the, that void in our, our lives, and we're practicing on every single person, and we begin to fail again and again, and that brings us anxiety, it brings us depression, it brings us suffering. But here Christ says, here's the end of your anxiety, depression, and suffering You can stand before God who demands absolutely everything from you and he'll still say to you, you're my own. Because the Spirit's come on us. Through the word, faith has been worked in our hearts where righteousness is ours because of Christ. And forgiveness is ours because of Christ's sacrifice. And value is ours because Christ gave it to us. When we begin to understand that, we begin to see our value in this world. How we begin to see and rejoice in the the kingdom of God because we see it through what Christ has done. That every single person is of value to Christ just as much I am as, as value to Christ. And we no longer 
deal in commodities, saying this person's valuable for me and that person is valuable, or this person's not. Instead, we say we're eternally valuable. Well, Moses said again, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put the spirit, his spirit on them. I wish they were all prophets. I wish they could all preach. That's essentially what Moses was showing here and the Lord was showing at the temple. As we share what Christ has given to us, it's not as if we diminish ourselves in any way. Moses, it says his spirit was shared with those 70, but it wasn't like he had any less prophecy or less leadership. Instead, it was like a flame where one flame lights others. Through the spirit, others prophesied. And through them, others heard and prophesied. That's a calling for you and for me as Christians. We have something that is essential. It can't be taken from us. It can't be used up. It's the spirit that God has given us. A spirit that does not make us jealous, but brings zeal for Christ and his church and his word. And for that, every one of our interactions with others begins there. How is this flame of the spirit going to spark their own flame? How are our interactions going to glorify God and his word? How does everything we do incorporate the spirit? May God bless us as we see the value that we have in him and the value that we will share as we preach his word to others. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. And the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. Sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with his scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets, We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.